Yeah, learning to smile in the storm, which sounds a little bit daft, doesn't it, if we're honest? Who wants to, you know, who wants to go through a difficult season and actually smile in the season? Most people want to get out of their difficult season. But the truth of the matter is, as believers, we can actually, I believe, learn something new in the storm. Would you agree? We believe that God, you know, in our storm can use it all for good and bring good out of it. We don't like the storm. We don't like the difficulties. But... We have learned, I'm sure, that there is good that comes out of it. Amen? So as much as we're learning to smile in the storm, I think sometimes it's probably when we look back at the storm and we realize what benefits the storm had. Most of us, if we're honest, want to get out the storm. Would you agree? We want to run away from the obstacle, run away from the challenge, run away from our enemies. Our instinct is to get away to preserve ourselves because of fears and insecurities and different things. I'm just kind of being honest with you. But um, I want to share a scripture this morning, which actually challenges me again. I mean, I'm not going through the trials that the new church went through in the New Testament. They had some horrific trials and storms. Would you agree? They, they kind of put our storms in comparison. You know, it's, ours are like riding a bike and falling off and scratching your knee trial. Yeah, compared to what they went through, imprisonment and different things, persecution. So James writes this, and um, he writes it with wisdom and experience because what he's gone through and what he's learned. And he's trying to encourage the church um, to carry on going. So he writes this in James 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy. Come on, what are you facing right now? Are you considering it pure joy? Or do you just want it to go away? Are we still my friend this morning? Come on. Consider it pure joy, my brothers or sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be complete, not lacking anything. This is a challenging message this morning, isn't it? You know, I believe God doesn't want you to live in lack. He doesn't want you to feel inadequate. He doesn't want you to feel worthless. He doesn't want you to feel down in the dumps. He doesn't want you to feel no good about yourself. He doesn't want you to be hurt and in pain. He wants to lift you up. Would you agree? But the problem is our character needs to be developed in order that we understand that we don't lack in God. Does that make sense? So it's a journey for each one of us to actually discover who we are in Christ, not in our own strength. Because sometimes in our own strength, as you heard Chris Hodges on the DVD, we do it in our own strength, it becomes stagnant, we become tired, we wear out, we're, we're, we're fed up with church, we're fed up with our relationships because we're doing it in our own strength. But when our hearts are full of life, and our hearts understand who we are in the image of God, and we understand how God looks at us, does this make sense? Then actually there's such a delight and a joy because we've discovered that a Father in heaven loves us more than anything. And I think that is the greatest thing we can discover is that we are loved in spite of our challenges, in spite of our storms, in spite of our failures, in spite of our, you know, how we look at ourselves and think we're not good at things. In spite of all that, we've discovered a God who loves us anyway. And that's what we have to, I believe, discover, is understanding who God is and understanding how God sees us. Not how we see ourselves, but how God sees us through his son, Jesus Christ, because he paid for our sins. And James is saying, look, I need, you need to consider this trial and this tribulation that you're going through, because actually, 
I know it doesn't feel good, but actually it's good for you. Does that make sense? It's actually having a right perspective on your difficulties. Not seeing them as a negative, but actually seeing them as an opportunity to grow in your relationship with God. You're still my friend this morning. He says, perseverance must finish its work. I don't know about you sometimes, but I want to give up on things. I start something, but I don't finish it. Ben's just shared this morning. I'm going to go to small group every week and do that course. And then I'm tired one week because I've been to work and I can't be bothered to get out the door. So I just don't go. Anybody else? I didn't finish the course. I didn't finish the assignment on time. (laughs) Yeah? Because I put it off. Or I didn't put the petrol in at the right time, so I ran out. Now I've got to spend more time walking up the road with a can in my hand. Do you know what I'm saying? Perseverance must finish its work so that you can understand who you are in Christ Jesus. If you don't persevere and push through, you will end up feeling inadequate and still lacking because you've not discovered the God who has no lack. Who does not lack love, but has an abundance of grace and love for you and mercy that never ends. And until we discover that, we will always look in the world. We will always look to other people. We will always look for relationships to satisfy that until we find Christ as our source. So I want to look at a journey that in the Old Testament the Israelites were on. Because God does an amazing work. He sends a man called Moses into Egypt to rescue his children, his chosen You know, his chosen people out of Egypt who've been in horrendous, um, they've been serving there, it's been brutal, you know, know, they're tired, they're fed up, and they've cried out to God. Moses goes in with a staff, most of us know the story, you've probably seen the Disney version, unless you haven't then. Maybe you need to watch the Disney version. But he goes in, he does amazing acts. He's, you know, he's got his staff and we see uh, curses come down. We see, we see them come out of captivity. We see the Red Sea parting. We see Pharaoh's army destroyed. Amazing acts, right? And then the people start to complain because they want some water and they want the food. And they start to look back and reflect and think, wow. Why? Because perseverance yet hasn't done its work. They've still not understood who they are, loved by God. And God's taking them on a journey through a wilderness. And actually, they want what they want. But God says, yeah, but I want what I want. And what I want is different than what they want. And what I want in your dry season is your roots to go deeper into me. But they're crying out for things of the past and they're still not getting what they want. So God says, I'll give you water, Moses. Hit the rock. I'll refresh them with natural water. But I wanted to refresh them with spiritual water first. You hear what I'm saying? They're on a journey of going into the promised land. And they come to this point in Exodus 17. And they want the, God gives them the water. But I, I, I believe that they weren't yet ready for that. You know, they, 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 God wanted them to have spiritual depth in who they were as children of God. And they've not quite got that. So God sends them a little storm. Okay? Are you still my friend this morning? God allows a storm into our lives to see where we're really at in our, in our relationship with God. Do we really trust even though there's a storm that he still loves us? Are you hearing me? So God's kind of working on his children to mature them and develop them so that they can fulfill the purposes of God. Not their own purposes, the purposes of God. But they're not quite ready, so he sends something in, a little storm. So let's read Exodus 17. Are you still with me? It says, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. 
Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So this is the staff that has seen amazing victories. It's like the testimony. Remember what God has done. Remember how God destroyed our enemies. Remember, remember, because we forget. I forget. I hear a message on a Sunday, then I get to a Wednesday, not even a Wednesday, and I feel like I'm not loved. I I, I read it, I heard it, he preached it, and I forgot it, because we forget. We're human beings. We forget. So Moses goes up, he holds up the staff. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew, tired, and Moses' hands grew. It's like, look how big Aunt Moses' hands are. No. They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. I mean, that's, a, that, that's an interesting throne, isn't it? I mean... Interesting seat of stone. You'd have thought they'd have got some big, expensive seat, but they obviously didn't have time. They found a quick stone. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered. Why? Because we forget. And make sure that Joshua hears it. Why? Because we forget. We get discouraged. Our hearts faint, grow faint, and we grow weary. We become tired. So remember what God has done. Because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. You don't want to mess with God, do you? You know, you don't want to fight with God. And I want to just look at this a minute because they face this storm and each one of us face a storm at some point that we're not in control of. You know, it it might be a finance issue, you know, it might be a business issue, it might be somebody who's, you know, just like an Amalekite in your world who is doing your nutting and you've had enough of them and they're tiring you out and they they just, you know, put you down all the time and they just take from you all the time. That might be you with somebody else. I'm just, you know, we can all be like that. Amen? I can take from people, I can discourage people, I can knock people down. But I want to just look at, what happens here? Because I think we can learn something about how to find victory through the storm. Anybody want to find victory through a storm? Or do you want the storm to take victory over you? Do you want the enemy to win or do you want to find that you are a conqueror and actually you're more than a conqueror? Do you want to come through your storm bigger than what you went in it? I know I do. So how do they win this battle? How do they defeat the enemy? How do they go bigger and understand who they are as children of God in this battle. A few things I believe we can learn from Moses, Joshua, and especially Jesus himself. The first thing is this, acknowledge our weakness. Well, you're saying it's all about being mighty and getting victory and, you know, being a mighty man. And look, if we look at these Israelites, 
they'd served, they were discouraged. They were people that had served for many, many years. You imagine serving for years and years and years under a brutal regime. You know, some people can be in church and experience serving, serving, serving in their own strength and get worn out and fed up and discouraged. I've been there myself. That's just in church. They were under, you know, an Egyptian rule for many, many years that wore them down and wore them down. They were not the kind of people that you looked at and thought, man, these are going to give us victory over these Amalekites. They were fed up and discouraged. They were also ill-equipped. They were not trained soldiers and warriors. They'd never fought before. This was their first fight. This was their, you're going to learn to ride a bike. Can you remember learning to ride a bike? Maybe some of you are too old. Can you remember learning to ride, you know, drive a car for the first time? What do them pedals do? You know, and you start freaking out as though you're going to, you know, damage the whole world if you crash. This is their first experience of doing something and growing and persevering and pushing through. So the first thing we must do is acknowledge our weakness. Why? Because it's not in our strength that we get the victory. It's in God that we get the victory. You see, Moses didn't say, I'm going to stay down here and fight. He didn't stay with Joshua and say, I'm with you down here. Can you imagine what Joshua did? Hey, where are you going? Get back down here and get in the fight with me. No, Moses went up the hill to hold up the staff. You see, Moses, I believe, understood that he could not do it in his own strength. He knew he had weakness. He knew when he was sent into Egypt, he could not speak properly. And God was gracious and sent Aaron with him as well to help him because he couldn't get his words out. But he goes and he goes up the mountain. Why? I believe this. Because he understood his weakness. This fight was not his alone. He needed God in the fight. And you know, where do we run when the storm comes? Do we run to my mom? I've done that for years. Do I run to my brother? Do I run to my dad? Do I run to my boss? Where do I run in the storm? The best place we can run is to our Father in heaven. The best, even when you're in the worst pain, the best place that you can go is to your Father in heaven. Because when he hears from you and he responds to you and he, he answers your prayer, I'll guarantee you'll never be the same again. Well, most of us run into the world. We get a new car to make us feel good. We, we get the next, you know, holiday. And all of those things are great. I'm not saying that we don't do those things. But are we doing them to satisfy something that's missing in our hearts? Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't hear me those things. We shouldn't, we shouldn't not enjoy those things. But if God isn't first and we don't run to him to satisfy the, the aching in our hearts, then we're going to run in this world and not be fully satisfied. The best place you can do, first of all, recognize your pain, recognize your weakness, recognize your discouragement, recognize what's going on in your life, and run to God. He is the best one that we can run to, amen? He will never reject you, ever. But Moses did it because he recognized he was weak. He could not do this on his own. I need God in my life, amen? You know, the best example we can see is Jesus. You say, well, Jesus wasn't weak. But Jesus understood that he was submissive to somebody else who was greater than him. It said he did not consider himself equal with God. How awesome is that? 
He didn't consider himself equal to God, but he lowered himself because he understood there was someone greater. His Father in heaven. All power to God, all glory to God. Us as a church, what do we do? Where do we run? Do we run away from the church? Do we run away from God? Or do we run into the church? Do we run back to God? Do we run to our small group? Do we run to the one who can come and encourage us and challenge us and, you know, keep us going? Or do we run away and hide? I'm just being honest with you. Sometimes I've wanted to run away and hide because I'm like, I can't do this, God. I'm fed up. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm not equipped. I don't have the resource. I don't have the energy. I don't have, I don't have, I don't have, I don't have. And then I realize, where's my source again? You hear what I'm saying? If there's no lack in heaven, I'm trying to do it in my own strength. So then I run back to him, and he reminds me there's no lack in me, Paul. I'm like, whoa, now my heart's alive again. Okay, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Do you hear what I'm saying? But my natural ability starts to try and work it out in the storm and think, how is this possible? It's not possible in me, but it's possible in him. So I have to go back on my knees. Africans say this, all fights are won like this. Every battle, every fight spiritually is won like this on your knees. They wear out their knees to win in battle. Now, I might be wrong. Not every African might say that. So there's a few Africans in here. Am I getting a nod or not? No, it's not all Africans then. Maybe just some Africans I met in Uganda. All battles are won in prayer. Who would agree that? Yeah, all battles are won in prayer. So your spiritual life or your ability to, to find victory will be found in your prayer life. Just being honest. What's the biggest battle over your life? To pray. How much are you praying? Probably not much. Come on, let's have an honest conversation. How much time are you spending on the TV? How much time are you spending praying? How many victories do you want? How much do we want the kingdom of God to come? Come on. And I'm not trying to condemn you. I'm just trying to stir you up to say, if you want a victory, right? God hasn't got a problem with you watching Game of Thrones and TV. He loves you and he probably likes Games of Thrones and all that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. He loves it when you come to him. He loves it when you spend time with him. He loves it when he tells you how good you are and you begin to get built up in Christ. Are you with me? So how do we do that? We recognize the weakness and we go to him. He doesn't push us away, but accepts us fully. You know, the Israelites, they like to murmur. They like to moan. They like to complain. So do us at times. But God still kept his eye on them and he still loved them. And we're going to read in a minute some of the Psalms that they wrote after and we'll see the amazing things that they did write about how awesome God is. The second thing, so the first thing, acknowledge your weakness. The second thing is this, believe there is a greater power than us. See, the weakness thing, we can say, oh, I'm weak, I'm weak, I'm weak. Yes, but now you need to focus on somebody who isn't weak. You see what I'm saying? Because if we don't do that and we just focus, oh, I'm not good. And, you know, it's like a false humility. Oh, I'm humbling myself, God, I'm no good. No, no, no. We look to God in the fullness of who we are and he lifts us. So we have to believe there's a greater power than us. Do you believe that? You know, it's good to remember what God has done. We so easily forget what God has done through Jesus Christ. You know, the Israelites didn't have Jesus in the cross. But they did have the victories that they'd seen through Moses. That's why Moses had to get up and hold the staff up and say, Luke, remember what our God has done. Remember how powerful he is. He's all-powerful. He's almighty God. 
All might is for God. It's the Al Shaddai who has no lack, but has abundance for you. You see what I'm saying? If your focus is just on your weakness, then you'll never get built up in God. But when we go and open our hearts and our minds to the God who has no lack, now we begin to get filled by him. Do you hear what I'm saying? So there's a greater power and resource and grace that is available. You don't earn it. It's just given freely to you when you humble yourself and go to him and receive from him from heaven. They didn't have Jesus, but they had the power of God. And every time Moses lifted his arms, the power of God began to work amongst Joshua. The power of the testimony of what God was like and how he given victory. But when Moses' arms started to go weak like most of us, we get weak, we get tired, we begin to lose. And what I love about this story is this. Moses also understood that this battle was not fought alone. It was a team effort. It's the church. Each one of us have a place in the church to encourage one another and build one another up. Not to tear each other down like the Amalekites came to do. And we'll look at that in a second. But we're here to build one another up. We serve a God who builds up. We serve a God who lifts up. That's our king. That's what he came for. He didn't come to knock us down, but he came to elevate us out of our sins. Amen? And this is the God that we must acknowledge who has greater power than all things. But it's good to remember what God has done. Moses was instructed to write it down. Can I encourage you? If you feel God is saying something to you, or if you don't know that you, who you are as a child of God, begin to write it down. Write down who you are. I am loved by God. Write it down 50 times until you get it. Think on it. Breathe it in. Acknowledge it. Remind yourself. Remember because we forget. Remember. Remind. Put it back in your mind. Remind your mind until you understand what it says. He said, write it down so that Joshua hears it. Why? Because Joshua had his own battles to go into and he would forget who he was and he would forget who God is and he would get discouraged and he would get tired. So write it down so you don't forget how many of us journal what God is saying if you want an amazing journal begin to read this if you don't understand this go to a group where you can help and get support and encouragement to help you understand what this means you see Aaron had to come along and hold his arm up because he was tired you know I've had people in this church when I've been tired they come and hold my arm up and they don't even know they're holding my arm up They don't even know they're holding my arm up. But they'll say one word and it renews my heart again. You know, sometimes we think we can all, it's all about going to God. And yes, it is. But God uses a body of believers to build up. And he gives us gifts to use to build up and equip one another. I remember when we did the fun day a few years back and I was like, I, I, I don't know, I was, I was consumed by doubt and I was discouraged and various things going on and in my mind and I, and I just thought, oh, we're going to do this fun day. It just felt hard work. And then in popped Bouncing Ben. He pops in. He said, I've been driving along. I've come in. He says, I really feel I've got believing for this fun day to be 300 people. I just went, boom, that's it, Ben. What does that do? He's lifting up my arm. He's bringing faith back into the room. Yeah, it's a team effort. 
and we saw 350 people come in. I was going down, 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 down. Like I was down, yes? But he came up and lifted me on because I was tired. You see what I'm saying? Do you come to church to lift someone up? Or are you just here to be lifted? Which is great, but if you want to become a child of God, you've got to become a lifter, not just lifted. You've got to become a lifter. I'm a lifter. Any lifters? Any bodybuilders? Come on! We need some bodybuilders. Any bodybuilders in the house? The bodybuilder? I need bodybuilders on the team. We need the church to be built up so we can maybe a banner in the city that says our God is lifted up. The church isn't dead, it's alive because we're building one another. See, the problem with the church is we become like the Amalekites. No, we don't. We all think we're like Israel. We're the goodies. We're chosen by God. But actually, the Amalekites, we see here, and God uses it all for good, but the issue with the Amalekites, where did the Amalekites come from? Why did they attack? Why did they knock down? Why did they discourage? Well, the Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Esau was the brother of Jacob. Jacob became Israel. So this is the descendants of the brother of Israel. Does that make sense? Now, Esau, if we know the story, Esau was the firstborn child who should have had the blessing. But he got familiar with it. He got familiar with God. No, I don't need the blessing of God. I don't need to go to God. I can do this in my own strength. So he sold his birthright to Jacob. Because Jacob was a schemer and Jacob wanted it. I'll get it. So Jacob, with his mother-in-law, sorry, with his mother, schemed a way to get the blessing. And they got the spiritual blessing. Then Esau realized that actually he'd been robbed. So he went to his father. I'm going to read these words from Genesis 27. It says this. His father Isaac answered him. Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness. This is great news for someone, isn't it? Away from your father, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. Imagine that. Anybody got any brothers or sisters? Hi, go home and serve your brother. Serve your sister. Serve your enemy. You will live by the sword. You will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. When you've had enough of your sin, when you've had enough of your past, when you've had enough of your discouragement, you'll come to a place and you go, I've had enough, I'm throwing it off. Does that make sense? Esau, here we go, held a grudge against Jacob. Because of the blessing his father had given him, he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. What's happening here? Esau feels rejected. Esau wants his father's blessing. Esau now feels he has lack. You hear what I'm saying? Esau feels he isn't good enough. And he makes a vow. And if we're not careful, we can all make vows when things don't go our way. When somebody doesn't do or live up to our expectations or what we want, or if I don't get power or position or the riches, I go, I'm making a vow. You say, well, I'm not 
do I make vows? Or someone hurts us and we say, I'm not getting hurt again. There's a vow. I made a vow, you know, when I was in a relationship before Sarah, I got hurt in relationships and I made a vow, nobody's going to hurt me again. Which then put a barrier between me connecting with people and receiving love from people. I was doing it all in my own strength. I hear what I'm saying? And then I had to recognize I'd made a vow when I met Sarah and I had to repent of that vow because at the end of the day, I can't guarantee that Sarah won't hurt me. You hear what I'm saying? And Esau made a vow that he would annihilate Jacob. And if we're not careful, church, this is what I think knocks a church down and can destroy church. Where we get hurt and we hold on to that vow, right? Are you hearing me? And then we come into church and we can't then lift others up because we're holding this offense. And you'll, in, you'll be in church and you'll come in and you'll be there, but you can't really engage with what's going on. You're not really in the celebration and the rejoicing because you're still carrying something that you took on board years ago. Just being honest with you. Why can't I celebrate? Because somewhere you made a vow. You made a vow. And God has to bring you to the truth and say, show you where you made a vow. The Holy Spirit has to bring you to that place and say, this is where you made a vow where you didn't get what you want like Esau. And we have to watch out for this same spirit like Esau, like the Amalekites, comes into the church and starts to knock down, 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 or not build up, build up, build up. Are you hearing me? I'm just being honest with you. I'm trying to give us some truth for what we have to watch out for. But we're not called to be like that. We're called to be like Christ. Amen? So how do we do this? The last point is this. So the first point, acknowledge our weakness. Second one, believe there's a greater power to give us victory. Amen? The third one is this. We don't like this one. We surrender our will and life to God. That's it. It's not about me anymore. It's about his will. Well, I've got to forgive that person even though they hurt me. Yeah, that's what Jesus says. That's what we have. I know it hurts. Acknowledge your pain. Acknowledge that you didn't get what you want. But you have to go again if you want to live and follow Christ Jesus. If you want to see the church become and you become what God has for you, you're going to have to surrender your will, what you want. What is your will? I want to do this. I will do this. You hear what I'm saying? You make a vow now to say, I'm going to follow Jesus Christ and his teachings. And I'm going to give Jesus my life. You know, yesterday we had a wedding right? And it was amazing. And two people stood here. There was an arch and they stood here and they read out their vows. And they made a vow to one another. First of all, for the rest of their life to love one another. We could stop there. Can you imagine everybody in the church doing that? Today, make a vow to love Jesus and love one another. That is my commitment. Forgive them even when they are weak. Even when they, they're not good to me. I have a vow that I will love them even when they hurt me. Do you hear what I'm saying? And that's the same what Jesus has for his church, the bride of Christ. You are his bride. He has got a vow with you. He is eternally committed to you. He is ever loving you. He is your, he is your husband, as it says. And we are the bride who now make covenant and vow to him. Do you hear what I'm saying? Now, if you do that, you don't have a choice. Well, you do have a choice. But you don't have a choice on how to live now. You follow the teachings of Jesus Christ, and you now begin to love Jesus and love one another. Hear what I'm saying? That spirit is a spirit that loves, and it brings lifting in the house, lifting in your heart, and it lifts other people. If we're not careful, though, 
we get into the, like the Amalekites where we can't champion and we can't lift up. So just watch out that you don't make a vow at some point. And I'm going to pray at the end and give you opportunity. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit, have you made any vows in your heart? And give you a chance to just take a minute and ask God to show you any vows that you may have made that is stopping you connecting and loving people and loving the church and loving your enemies. But we have to surrender our will and life to God. I've got a quote here. It says, life's challenges are not supposed to paralyze you. They're supposed to help you discover who you are. See, the whole storm is there to help you realize who you really are. You're a child of God and you're loved. We have to remind ourselves that God is the God who lifts me. He is my banner. He is committed to me. He is in covenant with me. And I have surrendered my will to the one who has all power and all authority. Even though the storm threatens me, it's not going to paralyze me because God is for me, not against me. You see, we see in here an amazing victory. We see with Joshua and Moses and the Israelites, it's their first battle. It's their first challenge. The enemy tries to come and rob them. But when they submit to God and his will, it's actually not about Moses. It's not about Joshua. It's actually about the will of God and seeing Christ Jesus come through that through that. Uh, that What's the word? Through that family as such, through the Israelites. The promise comes through Israel. Amen? It's about Jesus Christ coming through there. And if that family was wiped out, then Jesus wouldn't come through there. So it's not about Moses. It's not about Joshua. It's not about Aaron. It's not about her. It's about God and his will. So we're to surrender our will and our life to God. See, this victory that comes is an amazing victory. But you know what? There's a much better victory in Jesus. I mean, Joshua was a conqueror. We see him take down cities and kings, and it's awesome. But Jesus is the king of kings. Joshua was a conqueror, but Jesus was more than a conqueror. Would you agree? Anyway, to keep our eyes on Jesus and what he's done for us, and if we take our eyes off Jesus, we forget in the storm that we have the victory forevermore through believing in Jesus. Jesus alone came and defeated the power of the enemy when he came to the cross. He rooted its force and took it back so that we could overcome through faith in Christ. You know, God is a lifter of people, would you agree? You know, we don't always get it right. I don't always get it right. Sometimes I can knock people down. I can knock my wife, my kids, you know, but it's not my heart. You hear what I'm saying? So I have to check my heart sometimes and I have to go again when I get it wrong and recognize my weakness. And I go to God and say, God, you love me and you forgive me. Help me to love. Help me to have more grace. Help me to have more forgiveness because I'm just weak and I get it wrong. James 1 says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Next time you face a storm, can I encourage you to have a perspective that this storm is there to grow you. It's there for you to discover. You're in a storm and you're going, woohoo, I'm going to discover who I am. You hear what I'm saying? I'm not prophesying storms over your life. 
But if you see the storm as a negative, but you switch your mind to see it as an opportunity to grow and discover who you are as a child of God. How do you do that? You acknowledge your weakness. You go to someone who's greater than you and you surrender your will and your life to him and watch him work in and through you. You know, at the beginning of the year, I shared about breathe new life. And I shared from a scripture where Abraham, before he was Abraham, he was Abram. And for him to become Abraham, he needed the breath of God. Okay? He could not become who God wanted him to be in his own strength and his own power. Okay? It said his body he considers as good as dead. He could not have children and a generation would not come through Abram. So God has to do amazing work in him. He has to put himself inside Abram. You hear what I'm saying? He puts himself in Abram so the power of God now can produce what he said he was going to produce. He couldn't do it on his own. But you see, the name Abram means this, Ab, father. Are you hearing that? Abba, father, Ab. Ram means strong or one who can be lifted up. So, father who is lifted, father who is elevated, father who is honored. But you know what? He was not a father at all. He was not even honored because he was feeling disgraced and weak and embarrassed because he didn't have children. And how am I honored in society? Nobody knows me. How am I going to be loved? I'm just Abram, but my name isn't being fulfilled. So what does he need? He needs God. He needs God to come in and do something in his life because then when God does something, the breath of God comes in. Now we know that Abram becomes a father to many. Amen. He also becomes one who is elevated all around the world and everybody knows about him. Amen. We talk about Abraham now, who becomes Abraham, where Jesus comes through, the Savior of the world, comes through Abraham. God is going to father us through Abraham, and he's going to come and lift us all up and make us safe and secure, not in our own strength, but in him. Are you hearing this? And you know what? The word Ram, it also means this, like a feather. You think, That doesn't sound strong. A feather just seems like a little feeble thing that's not very big or powerful or... But you imagine you put feathers with feathers, you start to get a wing or just a group of feathers. You see, here's the deal. Abram, a father who has the ability when it works together It might flap a little bit at first in the storm, but it has the ability to rise up in the storm. You hear what I'm saying? You may be weak, but God says, I am weak. You may feel inadequate, but God says, there's no inadequacy in me. And when we go to him, this is what begins to happen. We begin to find that there's some breath under these wings that begin to lift us. And he begins to tell us the truth. And we move from flapping to gliding. These weak little feathers that we are find our strength in God. We begin to find, yes, we're weak, but in God we're strong. Paul says, I rejoice in my weaknesses. Woohoo! Because in God now I'm made strong. Are you hearing it? Any weak people in here this morning? Anybody want to be lifted up this morning? He's a God who lifts. He says to Moses, write it down. 
the God, my banner, the one who is hoisted, the one who lifts you up. You know, he sent Jesus to die, but that wasn't the end. He lifted that feather. Everybody thought it was weak. Everybody thought he'd failed. But all of a sudden, that feather, God blows on it, and it begins to come back to life again. Dead areas of your life, God says, I'm going to blow on them, church. Your past church, when I blow on them, they'll never be the same again. You bring your feather, you bring your weakness, and let's see what the church can become when we all join together and we begin to take flight. Are you hearing me? And what God does is he says, I've lifted somebody up for you. He's my son. And when you forget that you're loved, what I want you to do is to remind yourself what I did on the cross for you. I gave my life, but I also lifted him up so I could lift you up one day. See, when we remind ourselves of the cross and we remind ourselves of the love of God and we remind ourselves that he spent the ho- sent the Holy Spirit that says, I'll never leave you or forsake us, now we begin to realize that we're empowered for life.